Listener supported. WNYC Studios. <clears throat> you guys, it's Phoebes. If you don't know yet, and I'm sure you do by now, this is my solo jam. So many white guys. You know, this is like when Bobby Brown went solo from New Edition, but like, I'm not going to do cocaine. I'm just going to be a normal person. I'm not going to be a bad influence on my partner in life, which is myself because I'm single. LOL. Ah, that got that got sad, guys. <laughs> I don't even have a Whitney Houston. Where's my Whitney Houston? Where's my church girl who's really a hood rat? Hey, Phoebe. Mm-hmm. I have your salmon salad. Oh, yeah. Give me that salmon salad. Uh, Joanna, what would I do without a producer like you to bring my Sam Sal? I mean, I'd probably fucking starve. Durr. Uh, you know, that's like a really, really small part of my job, right? Yeah, I'm, yep. Yeah. I knew that. Hashtag shade. (laughs) (laughs) So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So what? How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. So many white guys. So many white guys. So here's the thing. So I signed up for Apple Music, which is very, I'm being an adult woman. I signed up for Apple Music. Spotify is like training wheels. And then Apple Music is like when you're an adult, when you can do like auto pay on your like electric bill and you don't give a fuck when they take the money out. That's when you know you're an adult. I thought Apple Music was for people who didn't know how to use Spotify. Um, this is my show. So <laughs> we go with what I decide the narrative okay, to be. I, I, I decide. So anyway, so I, I signed up for Apple Music. So I naturally, my first Apple radio station is U2. And it's really good. But then there are, they, like, I don't know, like, Apple's always dropping in songs from the Spider-Man musical that U2 wrote, which was fucking terrible. It's like, why, Apple Music, get this out of here. Put some little Bruce Springsteen, some Petey Gabes. Some Kate Bush, if you will, sure. Who's P.D. Gabe? Peter Gabriel. That's cool. <laughs> how's that? How's that salad? Awesome. I sense some judgment in that question. No, there's no judgment. How's that salad you always fucking order? <laughs> I just think that ordering a salmon salad every day is like super wasp you got your chinos on you're reading a copy of real simple it's very martha stewart i'm getting like a martha stewart energy from your lunch decisions oh shit you remember when she went to jail that was national news that this like old white lady was going to fancy jail like everyone was like what is she gonna wear to jail she wore like a dope ass like cashmere poncho and everyone was like Great choice. It's like if I go to prison, no one's gonna, no one's gonna be that positive about my experience. Yeah, no. If I go to prison, 
You would be the piper of prison and, like, literally... Before she, like, goes psycho and betrays people. Right. But you would be, like, season one piper where it's, like, your problems are so middle class that, like, Laverne Cox is literally, like, transitioning in prison. And you're, like, oh, I don't know if I'm a lesbian today or not. Um, story of my life. Just kidding. I don't feel that way at all. Uh... Any who's all... I have been in New York for gonna be about almost 15 years. That's crazy. It's almost half my life I've been in New York. And I usually don't care that much about celebs. Like, I've walked by Billy Crystal. It's like, I get it, you know? But Wallace Shawn, huge. Obviously, when Billy Joel shook my hand, mage. When I saw SJP walking down the street, that was, I almost cried. It's great. I don't see that many black celebs walking around. Like, I, I don't know what they're doing. Like, white celebs are, like, out in the streets. They're, like, some, like someone from Star Magazine take a picture. I guess black celebs are, like, busy working. Like, twice as hard to be, like, someone's assistant to, like, Jason Alexander on a TV show. But you know what I mean? Like, literally, I just got, like, an audition notice today. And it was like, can you be a... A streetwise assistant who knows more than her bosses, but you're still the assistant. Like, that's literally all I go out for. And I, like, work my ass off to get auditions for parts like that. Maybe that's why I don't see, like, Denzel Washington in Central Park, like, reading Esquire. I would I would die to see that. If I ever saw Denzel Washington relax, I'd be like, You've, you have arrived. As a black person, when black people, like, relax... It's like, you know they fucking worked. Joanna, do you not feel comfortable speaking on this? No, I can hear you. Sorry, I can hear you. Can you not, do you not feel comfortable speaking about this? Because you're, you're white woman. White. Um, Joanna? (laughs) Sorry. Are you, are you on your cell phone right now? I'm like talking about. Wait, my mic should be off. I'm talking about real shit here. You like. My friend was texting me photos of dogs with hats on. Oh my god. You know what? I didn't think. Okay, let's just move on. No. We have to go. What? Dogs with hats? Wait. <laughs> okay, I <laughs> That was when you're like, wait. <laughs> Phoebe, we gotta get this interview started. Guys, my guest today is Janet Mock. She's the host of So Popular on MSNBC. She's a former editor at People Magazine and a trans advocate. I call her a hair icon and the second most powerful black person from Hawaii. I'm so excited. She was just so smart and gorgeous and amazing and hilarious. She dropped the truth so many times. She, like, brought the academics with glamour. I mean, she's in a class of her own. We will get to the interview in just a second, but first we need to hear a word from our sponsors. Yes, ma'am. Okay, babies, it's time to go live to my interview with Janet Mock. Okay, well, it's not live live. It was recorded live. I interviewed Janet in front of the audience at Work It, a women's podcasting festival. So you're going to hear the crowd, but you're not going to see my awesome stage setup, which was the glam. I had an orchid, like one beautiful fancy flower because I was living my best life. Okay, let's just get to it. 
here. Oh my god, I'm so happy that you're here, and there's so much that I want to talk to you I'm about. So excited. I've been following your career for a while, and I think you are so important and influential mm-hmm. and necessary in the world. Oh, so thank you, thank you for thank being you, here. Baby. Of course, clap well, it up. First oh, of all, yeah. this is a woman on the verge. Is she not? Oh, like she wow. is. We are not going to. She's going to be like Amy Schumer level of like, please get away. Oh, we're going to be tired it. of you. We're going to be tired of you in a year and a half. <laughs> So just get ready for the backlash, boo. Okay, it's coming. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should we talk about that? Has that happened with you? I feel like there can't be. No, I don't. I don't think so. With me, you know, being um, black and a woman and trans and growing up poor, I think that it's you kind of easy, right? You kind of yeah. You know what I mean? It's like really easy that yeah. experience. <laughs> I think people give me a lot of like, you okay? You you can shine. We'll yeah. let you shine. Okay, good. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so like I said, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. Um, first up. We love pop culture so much, and we love Beyonce. Everybody loves Beyonce. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and obviously, Lemonade sparked a lot of reaction in a lot of people. And I was particularly taken by your back and forth with Bell Hooks. Um, and you wrote a fantastic essay called Lemonade is Beyonce's Testimony of Being Black, Beautiful, and Burdened. Uh, what resonated with you in Lemonade that made you want to write this essay? I think that the evolution of Beyonce, going from like the girl power to like I'm a feminist to black power and black centering black womanhood is so vital, especially in a space where she could easily just have sold concerts and records and not have made a message with her work. Um, a lot of people are surprised, I think, by her level of blackness, but that has that's all I really saw growing up, right? Like the fact that I'm so connected to her because she was in a group, Destiny's Child, from Houston, which was Southern blackness, which is a whole nother level of respectability that she's challenging. And me and Belle, we are actually friends in life. We've disagreed publicly about Beyonce. I think that we're from different generations, of course, obviously different life experiences. And so I think that I see and read Beyonce through a more peer lens. Mm -hmm. I've seen her grow. I've grown up with her, right? Like I met her when I was 15 years old, like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you know what I mean? Course. Like, I've seen the whole process from, like, Tina Knowles originals to, yes. you know, Givenchy. So yes. it's like, yes, Givenchy, yes. Black Panther realness. Yeah, right? House like, of so- on. no one bought it, but we were there for it. We were there for it. That was her it. gift to Tina. I you know, know. You can't help it. Uh, you gotta respect the mom. You love yeah. your mama. Yeah. I think it's interesting, um, her critique was large around Beyonce using black womanhood and black pain for capitalistic reasons. And just as I'm trying to sell books and Belle's trying to sell books and get speaking engagement, Beyonce is also trying to do all of that at the same time. But I think she's doing it because she's an artist and this is an expression of herself in her, in her, in her work. Yeah. I love that you mentioned her evolution because I do think as women and people of color, like we're not allowed to grow and learn and express new ideas in a way that like white people can be like oh I was like a goofy kid when I was 21 and now I'm like more woke or whatever and so I think that sometimes black women in particular if they come into like their their black power phase and their their feminism phase like people tend to doubt that and and maybe think it's not authentic do you feel the same way or a gift and a burden of being a person that is quote-unquote not a white guy, right? Not a cisgender, heterosexual um, person is that you, your otherness is focused. And so when you come in and create something or do something in a public space, you are burdened with a gift of having to carry in all of your people with you. 
And so your work is not solely a work of personal expression, but it's also a representation of all those who look like or intersect with you and your experiences. And so that's something that I have seen as both pieces, right? It's a gift because I am privileged and people, women of color, queer women of color have done this work that have enabled me to be here and stand in this space and occupy it. But then what I'm supposed to do is just because I may be the first in spaces, I'm supposed to ensure through my work that I'm not the only space. I'm the only person in that particular space. And so that's the burden of, I think, a black artist or queer artist or especially people who intersect with all of those identities. Yeah. How do you deal with that sort of pressure and responsibility? Because uh, you don't want to be like, I'm representing everybody. You just want to represent yourself. But like you said, people kind of place that on you. Do you how do you handle that sort of pressure? Well, the first, I think that it's an evolution. So I know that when I first told my story in Mary Claire, I was 26 years old and What I wrote in the piece was that I do not want to be the poster child for transness or for what it means to be, you know, to go through this particular experience. And it was something that I was fearful of because of the idea of the the limitations of a single narrative, right? That one person's experience cannot tell everyone's experience, but that's what people tend to do. And it's something that I'm still navigating as I get more and more exposure and visibility. It's hard. Um, But what's great now, specifically in the transness piece of my identity, is that there's a lot more portraits of transness. There's celebrities who are trans. There's reality stars who are trans. And so I don't have to carry that baton as much. I do carry the baton of intersectionality and centering black womanhood in my work. And that's just something my, you know, grandma Shelly Jean Gibson taught me, and I got to do it. Well, give it up for Shelly Jean, guys. (laughs) I can't even. Um, So I want to go back to one more thing about Lemonade, because... You wrote a lot of great things in your essay, but this really stood out to me a lot, and I like I love this so much. You wrote, I often dream about what happily ever after looks like for the black woman and girl. We have rarely been offered fairy tales that center us or stories that center our quest for love and self and happiness and wholeness. And I never really thought about it like that, ever. So first of all, thank you for, for writing that. Um, well, that's why Brandy as Cinderella was everything. Right. It still is like, you yes. know, everyone like the first black princess. It was not Anika Noni Rhodes. It was, yes. <laughs> you know, it was Brandy on that ABC TV people, movie. Yeah, People sleep on that movie, but it was so good. I, I was still like, watch it on YouTube. Sorry. So I yeah. <laughs> but I, I really, I really like your, you bringing up um, fairy tales because I think I'm a, I love watching romantic comedies and love stories, but it's always like. Bridget Jones or like Julia Roberts and it's you know every once in a while you have like Neil Long or like uh, Sanaa Latham but for the most part it's it's framed as white women get to fall in love and I have to like see myself in that somehow Um, and I I was wondering like how has the process of fairy tales and womanhood been for you like as you've been growing up? Well, what's so bizarre is that, you know, I I got married in November. It's not bizarre. But what was interesting to me was that when Aaron proposed to me, I was, the first thing I thought of was, like, I was happy. That was great. Um, And I was like, holy shit, I'm getting this bizarre experience that I think that is not the default experience for specifically a black trans girl. And even when they talk about how, you know, black women, period, cisgender women are um, one of the most unmarried populations, right, even though they do want to be married or want to build a home or a family. Um, And so it's, it's, for me, it was like, oh, the sense of like, I don't have a blueprint for this. Yeah. And I think that that is a part of my life's burden, but work, right? This is the work that I have to do. And so like knowing that my particular wedding 
is going to mean so much more to other people outside of my immediately like 75 guest list, right? Right. And so I couldn't believe that I had a fairy tale day, if that makes sense, yeah. right? Like it wasn't something that I thought was a possibility for me. I thought that, you know, like so many of my sisters who are grappling with this is that, you know, the men who love them or the partners who are with them or desire their bodies or are attracted to them are shamed, right? Because we are told that we are not real women, that we do not belong in these spaces, that we don't even belong in spaces like bathrooms, right? And so like when you're exiled of all of these spaces, you kind of feel as if all you're doing is surviving and there's no space to live, no less the, you know, the privilege of dreaming. Mm -hmm. And so like, what does it mean to be the, to step into a space where you look like the living embodiment of these fantasies that we are fed, yeah. right? That we consume all of the same kind of culture and the same cultural messages and the narratives, but we're not centered in those. Mm-hmm. And so the work that I believe that we are creating is disrupting that, right? Is to say that, no, we deserve to be centered, boo. And yeah. like, this is for us. And yeah, great if you enjoy it, but I'm not doing this for your cis, white, heterosexual, patriarchal, like, gaze. I'm doing this because there's certain girls who need to know that here's a mirror that reflects you more fully. Just, like, waiting to exhale. Oh, my God. That I saw on repeat on VHS was, like, everything for me, right? Like, to have, like, these four women share this space and talk about their lives, and it was bankable at the Mm -hmm. same time, right? Like, all of that stuff is important. So having these narratives where we are centered and that it's not necessarily um, even thinking about the gaze of folk who are not like us or like how do we speak to them and make it universal because we all know that right Right. universal means white yeah totally (laughs) Um, uh, let's move on Um, so I want to talk to you for a second because you are an expertise host you have so popular which is fantastic you're so natural with the guests you know all about the pop culture you got all the banter down and I'm a newbie solo host so I want you to kind of like coach me on okay. something. So first off, what do you think of the set? It's <laughs> <laughs> Do you like the orchid? This was yes. the whole budget. Yes. Um, <laughs> but do I need like They could have a- given you a two-stem orchid. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, orchids are struggle plants. Right. They are, they are very <laughs> They're very beautiful for the week and a half that they live, yeah. and then you're just living with a stem. Exactly. So, you know, that's the... But that's the black woman's experience. Yeah. Like, you may get two weeks of happiness, <laughs> and the rest is, like, waiting for it to come back again. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like a text messages with men or something. Okay, that was great. Thank you so much. Um, in all seriousness about being a host, has there ever been a moment where you've been like... Ah, I blew that interview or I didn't ask the right question or uh, made a mistake and I wish I could go back and fix that. There was one moment. It was when a white guy came on my show. He's a director of a documentary and he did this. Has anyone ever read that book, um, The Player's Manual? No. It's like that (laughs) Neil Strauss, I believe. Oh, the game? The game, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what he did was he tried to gain control in the interview before we started taping, and he negged me. And uh, I took the bait, and I was no. like, I took the damn neg. Like, and uh. so like he said something about what I was wearing on my T-shirt or something, and then we started the interview, and I was angry. So yeah. I came from a point of... I have no time for this person, but then instead of calling him out on mm-hmm. it, I just remain in a space of internal rage. Oh, no. um, and because I don't have the space to be 
oftentimes being angry as a black woman and as a host is not like the space you want to be in, especially when you're dealing with the world of booking and talent and like if you're mean to someone's guest, blah, blah. But what I should have done is said like, I know what you just did to me. Let's start there. Right? Like why did you, I should have started, I should have been authentic about what I was feeling in the moment Mm -hmm. instead of performing for camera. Yeah. And so I think that the best thing that... I love that. Everyone was like... So people probably know you best as a writer and a spokeswoman for transgender issues, but uh, I feel like you've done so many other things as well. Like you, like what you went through in your background. Like you grew up poor. Your parents struggled with drug addiction. Like you moved to New York and went to college here, and I did the same thing where I just came here at seventeen. My parents dropped me off in Bed Stuy, and they were like what the fuck is this neighborhood? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I just like watched Felicity and I thought all of New York Wait, was Felicity like, Felicity was the That's why I went to NYU. Yes. I was like, you, NY, NYU. Yes. Yeah, it's the same thing. Dean yes. and DeLuca, I'm going to get a coffee there. I was like, wow, yes. this is expensive. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, girl didn't have a budget back I know, then. I know, I yeah. know. I tried to get into NYU and they were like, your grades are terrible. I was like, okay. <laughs> JK, JK, JK. <laughs> Uh, but you've been through through so much. You worked as an editor. How did you? What were you thinking your your future was going to be like when you just like first got your job at People and you were just crushing it? Like, what did you foresee for yourself? I saw myself being the features editor at a women's fashion magazine, um, and then I worked at a fashion magazine as an intern. And I said, I don't want to have to do nothing with any of these bitches. Um, I do not want to be here. I did yeah. not want to tape up boxes in the fashion closet. I, like I, I, I did was like, that too. Yeah. Camp. I had to like just pack makeup. Yeah, you basically work at UPS. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm not doing this. I don't. That's not like what I want to do. Um, and so for, that's what I saw for myself. And I think that for so long, what I did was that my training as a journalist was that I was very comfortable living and living and hiding behind the telling of other people's stories. Mm. I think a part of that was a survival tool too, the sense of like, I don't deserve to be the protagonist of this yeah. story. And it took a lot of unlearning work, right? To say that I'm worthy of writing myself into history, writing myself into a book, writing myself onto other people's shelves, right? And making people feel through my very own unique experience. Um, And so like when I finally did make that decision to tell my story, I started off in Mary Claire, I did it, It Gets Better video, I did all that stuff. And I connected with readers and I sold a book based on proposal, which I'm sure, you know, these are all the ins and outs that people are like very bored of by. But I did that and then I was like, I got an advance, Bye. That's <laughs> That's great. And so then I was able to leave and just write and speak and do the advocacy that was important to me. But then to also, what I'm glad about right now in this particular point in my career is that I've written about being trans. I will never hide being trans as I will never hide being black and a woman. Um, but I want to be able to go back and to interview people and be the person that is shaping the conversation and not so much being the subject of every conversation. Yeah. Which do you like better? Do you like interviewing or, or being interviewed? I love both when people are as smart and empathetic as I am. Aww. Yeah. Sat me. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, was that a read? Was that some shade? I don't know how to take that. <laughs> I was like, do I yes, suck yes. right now? <laughs> No, but I think I, I think I'm more comfortable. Um, I'm more comfortable asking the questions yeah. and answering them, um, and so I'm trying to create a space where I can go into 
asking questions. So I want to talk about your book a little bit, your first one, Redefining Realness. Um, and a lot of people know that term from, uh, you know, drag queen mm-hmm. uh, situations. And so what to you is the realness that you're redefining? Like, what do you want people to take away from? Well, I think that for me, I, 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 I wanted my book to be centered around the language of not only academia and gender theory and feminism, but to also be the language of folks on the street, right? And so realness came out of ball culture in New York City, largely. Um, it was categories within famously seen in Paris is Burning, which is on Netflix, um, which I think is one of the greatest explorations of um, black and Latina um, trans women specifically. And so for me, realness was always seen as a sense of like performing what dominant society says is real, right? So going according to their standards and ideals and norms. And I wanted to redefine that and to say that I think it's a worthy term, but it needs to be a lot more subjective, meaning that we all get to say what is real and authentic to us, and no one gets to tell us to show documents or to prove our realness and authenticity, right? So truth is something that's a personal experience. Fact is a personal experience. The goal of the book for me was, going back to the fairy tales narrative, was to tell that 12-year-old girl that I was in the library reading books to say that here's a book that centers your specific experience. And I think the power of storytelling and story sharing is that when you can let someone know that they're not the only ones and that they're not alone in the world and someone else has made it out of that space. Yeah. Oh, damn. You're just dropping these nuggets. Oh, my God. I love it. You're currently working on your second book called First right now. I know you're in the middle of it, but can you give us kind of a sneak peek? So Redefining Realness was so much around like the quest to be okay in my body and in my identity. First is largely the next chapter of that, where it kind of picks off where Redefining Realness left off, post-transition, medical and social transition. And it's largely living in New York City, um, navigating career and dating and roommates. Oh, <laughs> I have that. I have a good privileged roommates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the yeah. East Village on Second Street, um, and yeah, so that's what large what the book is about. And it really it kind of coincides with like being from eighteen to twenty seven to the point of like living publicly and deciding to to tell my story. Yeah, and then I'm like talking about fucking and dating yeah. and <laughs> all of the stuff that I didn't feel safe enough to talk about yeah. in my first book as much. And I'm really excited to. Um, really challenge the respectability politics around what's possible for a young woman and owning her body, my body, and saying that I'm worthy of all of the things and how I learned to come to the point of saying that I know and believe that I'm worthy, not just saying them as affirmations, but really believing that. Okay. So, oh, yeah, clap it up. That was amazing. That was good. So what would be your number one piece of advice that you would give to people in their 20s? That's a really good decade. It sucks in a lot of ways because you like don't have money and you're like awkward and you let like shitty dudes be shitty to you because you watch like dumbass movies and you think, oh, that means they're going to change their minds and love me later. Um, as you, it's really just you're learning a lot in, in, in 10 years about the entire world. So like out of all the like important experiences that happen in your 20s, what's like one piece of advice that you would give to someone? I think it's, mine would be centered around like self-worth and value. It sounds very like Iyanla Fix My Life or Oprah Live Your Best Life, but it really is. And I think that it's really about like being stingy with your time and with your body and with your talents, 
that like not everyone is deserving of you, of your body, of your story, of your time. And so like I wish that someone would have told me, girl, you are everything. You may not know it yet. Right. But like you don't need to spend time trying to chase him or waiting on your phone or having to deal with this roommate or all of these things like be stingy. You only have so much time in this world, in this particular body, in this particular experience. So like don't spend it. Right. Like budget that shit. (laughs) Budget like how you spend your time and the spaces that you choose to occupy and who you choose to to bring into your your world. Yeah. Oh, that's really I wish I had that advice. I really was just... I'm glad that this is recorded so that I can write that down. I'm like, oh, yeah, Yeah. I need to write that down. Put that in your book, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Just transcribe from this and you'll be your your bestseller. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, Janet, thank you so much. Phoebe, thank you. I am so honored to be a part of your first kind of live experience for so many white guys. Yeah, this has been great. I've been sweating through everything. I'm so sweaty everywhere. That's why I'm wearing this. I'm like hiding. Yeah. My butt crack is like just a Mm -hmm. swan. Sorry, sorry for the overshare, but that's my truth. Um, Authenticity. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. Jenna Mock, everybody. Ooh, that felt so good. I, you know, I feel like I did a really good job on that one. You did. It was great. You were thoughtful, inquisitive, insightful. Oh, Joni, can you just follow me around and compliment me all the time? That was great. Um. Sure, maybe this weekend. Anyway, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. We have to tell listeners about how to find out what we're up to. You guys, I'm all over social media on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at Dope Queen Feeds. That's P as in Paula, H as in Ho, spelled the French way, E as in Eggplant. E as in esteemed, B as in baller, and S as in slut. And then I'm also on <laughs> I'm also on Facebook. Like my Facebook fan page. Um, you guys will be great. I know you can do it well. I'm not going to pressure you, but get on it. Let's get them numbers up. Great. Time for credit. The So Many White Guys team includes Daisy Rosario, Rachel Neal, Joanna Salataroff, James Ramsey, Paula Schumann, Jim Poyant, Alex Overington, Joe Plord, Dara Hirsch, and Shanoa Estrada. Our theme music was sung by a bunch of white dudes. Alana Glazer is our executive producer. Friday, 1.24 p.m. Phoebe, um, it's Alana. Uh, I just had this idea about a plants maintenance segment. Um, I feel like WNYC viewers are like really into houseplants and I just got into them. Um, I th- it would just be cool, like hot tips or whatever. Um, we should see what the producers find, you know, if they just do like a little bit of research specifically um, on a ficus pandorata bush. Um, just to see what they find and like how to care for um, a ficus pandorata, uh, you know, daily, weekly basis, um, sort of if that could be broken out into steps. Um, okay, cool. Talk to you later. Love you. Bye. End of messages.